Hello, Tim Bellpot listener. I just wanted to throw out a bit of a disclaimer that these early episodes, we were still figuring it out, and we got better in pretty much every way. Definitely audio, storytelling, joke telling, research. So, um, you know, maybe start with episode 20. But if you still want to see what the growing process was like for us, continue listening to these early ones because I could see all that's fun. But um, just know it gets better. Hi guys, I just wanted to let you know that since the last disclaimer, we've gotten so much better at making disclaimers. Like for example, um, this one has lasers. This one has some dinosaurs. I even talk like a robot in this one. And if you want to listen to an episode like without any disclaimers, I would say um, maybe like 27, I think Bruiser Brody, I think that was like the first episode where we figured out kind of, oh, this is what we do. So yeah, no disclaimers on that one. Um, I mean, you can listen to this old ass episode. I wouldn't, you know, and I fucking wrote it and edited it and researched it. And all right, well, uh, enjoy this episode. Research for this Yokozuna episode, I watched probably over 60 matches, and not once, not once did he hit that damn elbow drop when he's coming off the ropes. Every single time they move out of the way, and I'm like, dude, please take it out of your repertoire. I, I was wondering, Jake, is there anything you used to do where it was just like, this never works, but I'm gonna keep doing it? Uh, best moonsault ever. I used to do it all <laughs> the time. Yeah, I used to, I used to do that, and. Guy always moved. Gosh darn it. Um, I, I used to do it sometimes as a setup where a guy would be sitting on the top turnbuckle, like on the far end, and then uh, I would jump and do it on the front end of the turnbuckle onto a guy, and he would always move. And then the guy who was sitting on the top turnbuckle on the far end would get up and give me a missile drop. So I always got fucked on it uh, multiple times. All right, and Nick, since you are a comedian, I have to you know pay some respects and ask you, uh, is there a joke that you oh, you, you loved? But you, it never got the pop or the, the laughs that you wanted, but you did it every time. Besides, you know, all of them. Boom, roasted. Okay, but seriously, Nick, um, was there ever a joke you just um, loved that never worked? Anytime I do a set longer than 30 minutes, I have this... My favorite joke, literally, I have ever written. I have this Super Mario joke about politics that I do every long set I do to a deafening silence. There's a comedian in Nashville named Josh Wagner, who is amazing. He's one of my favorite comedians in the whole country. I did a show in Nashville, and I got off stage because I closed with that joke. And he goes, there are some rooms where when you do that joke, they're just going to throw money at you. But for the most part, it's never going to work. <laughs> I was like, fuck you, Josh. Honesty. Honesty is something you don't get much. There it is. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Welcome to Ten Bell Pod, where we discuss the life and death of pro wrestlers while attempting to not get Jake banned from every locker room in the country. Please. <laughs> 
Please. We're shooting for like 90%, though. <laughs> I am Nick Alexander, and I uh, promise that I'm excited to be here. This is just my voice. I am joined by Micah Loving. I am actually happy to be here. <laughs> Nick is full of shit. And I am joined by Jake the Man Scout Manning, or Man Scout Jake Manning. Which one? Man Scouts would be fine. And to let you know, I'm doing quite fine on my own getting kicked out of lockdown. <laughs> okay. I don't need this podcast to get, get removed moved physically from lacrosse oh those were good stories earlier i am very excited for our center of discussion today because this guy was a huge no pun intended part of my childhood uh, just go ahead and say it was yeah it was, right, just, right, just, right. just i was gonna do that too yeah, it was totally intended but uh i grew up when i was growing up i loved hulk hogan i loved bret hart i loved undertaker and uh this guy wrestled them all so today we are talking about one of the greatest big men in wrestling history, the 6'4 and between 5 and 700 pounds, the <laughs> mighty Yokozuna. Look at the girth. Rodney Anawahi was born October 2nd, 1966 in San Francisco, California. Rodney was part of the legendary Anawahi wrestling family for the last 46 years. A member of that family has been on the WWE roster, which is pretty yeah, that's, uh, that's impressive. impressive. Not to be confused with the Waynes family, who's had a member on the WB for the last four years. They deserve it. Do you want to list some of them? No, uh, I, can, I can name two of them. Uh, some of the members of uh, Yoko's family include Rikishi. Oh, I thought you were going to name some of the Waynes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I was waiting for. Uh, Umaga. Roman Reigns, the Usos. I was just saying, are we finally taking a we side need, on Reigns we, on this podcast? We, we, <laughs> we need that smart credit, so there fuck Roman Reigns. Right. All right. Uh, no, I think it's going the other way now. The yeah. shield is back. <laughs> um, I would dare say The Rock being the most famous one. So at uh, 17 years old, Rodney was trained by his uncles, the Wild Samoans, Afa and Sika. And he would begin his pro wrestling career in 1984, wrestling in Japan as the Great Kokina. And then I want to get into this again with the whole pronunciation thing. And I, I am going to second guess everything I say for the rest of the I podcast. mean, all I thought of was the great Arnold Schwarzenegger Red Heat movie where he takes the fake leg, he pops the top, he pours out the drugs and says, Cocainum. That's, I mean, that's what I think every time with Coquina. No, I'll, I'll go with you on Coquina. Coquina. Uh, Coquina. Uh, yeah. Thalball Cocaine says Coquina. <laughs> Coquina. Uh, I love that you pronounce it properly. I said it people <laughs> from Keystone, Iowa. There is a match online where Yoko tags with Vader. At this point, he is embracing his Samoan heritage. He's using the Samoan drop as his finisher. And around, at this point, I think he's around 400 pounds. Uh, maybe probably still floating around in the threes. There's a great one when he was in Germany. I've never encountered this, Jake. Oh, I hope you maybe have some history on this. He's wrestling Otto Wands. I don't know if I'm saying Otto that Otto Wands. Otto Wands. Oh, German. Yeah. Shit. But uh, it's him. Former AWA champion. Put some goddamn respect on his <laughs> name. Oh, right? God damn it. Um, but um, they come out. It's, it's pro wrestling. It's straight up pro wrestling. But the structure of it is like a boxing match. There are standing eight counts. There's there, rounds. There are rounds. Yeah. 
There's a lot of stuff over there in Germany it was, it was and, those, and those areas. They, they they had special tournaments. They had special rules. I can't uh, believe I never heard of this. UK wrestling's got some some funky rules like that, but Germany did very much of that, and they have these big, big long tournaments that span over time, and they they travel around, and guys live in caravans, and, <laughs> and they just they just set up and they run these like three night or four night tournaments. God, we have to write just, the screenplay. You just would wrestle multiple times. You would, this is where guys like starting off would. Just just hone their craft like mm. the young scott hall would be there finley was always the oh, king yeah. of these things i think like rip rogers went over there there's all kinds of guys like guys uh, would go over there gosh i'm trying to remember the, the oh william regal was i was over gonna say there. if you say fit finley you got to say william regal right like these these were the areas where these guys just learned how to work and wrestle and just good times man yeah just the format just blew my mind i was watching it because nothing was explained because it was all in german or spanish or whatever but as it evolved i was like the fuck is happening? Yeah, they, they, had, they had different rules in different places. Like I said, UK yeah. and World of Sport had a different set of rules. Yeah, Lucha Libre had different rules. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that yeah. stuff makes sense to me, but just a little boxing integration. It's uh, That matches on YouTube if anybody's interested and wants to check it out. Um, also, since you brought up, he, you know, he traveled to Germany and stuff like that, but he also, early in his career, wrestled in Egypt. Oh, what? shit. Yes, I bet you don't know this. And part of the reason I yeah, that wasn't on Nick's outline. Uh, part, of, part of the reason I know this is because, uh, speaking of messing up people's last names, so I'm glad we had a discussion earlier, <laughs> uh, Sal Corrente, uh, people have referred to as Sal Corinthian, he's Big Cheese Sal, he's Sal from Wrestle Reunion, uh, he's worked with my company High Spots for a very long time, he was good friends with everybody from the Annoy family, uh, uh, especially Afa and Sika who basically broke him in as a referee and Sal refereed Yokozuna's first couple matches and he said he, they were in Egypt in, in the mid 80s and actually <laughs> he sent a picture of a very young Yokozuna back when he was like Rodney Kokina at the time and we'll probably post it on our Instagram Sal just said make sure you credit me in, in the photo because yeah, he's yeah, actually definitely. the ref he's actually the referee in in the photo itself so oh, that's awesome. he, he knew a young young Rodney. Uh, at a very <laughs> early age, so um, but yeah, like and he said, like you know, wrestled in Egypt at a very early age. I'm like that's cool. I've never heard that before. Yeah. He wrestled in Egypt. That, that's the thing too. <laughs> I haven't heard a whole lot of wrestling in Egypt either. Like wow. a lot of those Middle Eastern countries. Like it was, I've I've heard of some of the Saudi Arabian tours that um, WWF. Yeah, no, um, gosh, the guy Sheik Adnan Al Casey line up because he oh. was good friends with uh, Saddam Hussein. <laughs> uh, so, just like Rumsfeld yeah yeah he was the Rumsfeld of, like, of, the, of, of Kuwait and, and, and Iraq and those areas nice. and like. over in Egypt they call it the, a, oh. a Nile driver like, like the river but a pile driver oh. but it's a Nile driver oh, say it again Nile driver <laughs> <laughs> alright the point of all that uh, is, is Yoko you know, wrestled in Japan he wrestled in Egypt. He wrestled in Germany. He wrestled in Mexico. He wrestled in Puerto Rico. So he kind of got his licks in he was around wanted. the world. He was wanted everywhere. This is at the beginning of his career. So he also had a one-time appearance for Jim Crockett Promotions in August 12th, 1987, where he yep. faced Ron Damn Sammons at a uh, house show. Jesus Christ, I don't know who the fuck sold on that one. <laughs> <laughs> like, there, there's a, it was a quick squash. 
For who? Yeah, for <laughs> which one? Yeah. Oh, Ron. Ron was coming on. Uh, it, they. I watched the match. It's like three minutes long. He destroys Yoko. No shit, really? Yes, of course. I mean, well, he's brought it. I Ron, guess Ron's so. coming yeah, off yeah, all yeah, his Heisman shit, and he's the big football playing monster. And then immediately he destroys Yoko. He walks down, and there's just Doctor Death Steve Williams right there, ready to do a promo to build up their title match. Uh, okay. It was just like Yoko, you're a monster, but motherfucking damn. Well. <laughs> Sidebar on Ron Simmons. Hopefully, we we don't do a podcast on him for Many another years. decade yeah. or two. Love um, Ron but a sidebar, uh, George South told me a story one time. He was booked to wrestle Ron Simmons at some small town outside of Richmond, like maybe like Spotsylvania, Virginia. And is that a real? That's a real. It's a real place. I've, I've wrestled <laughs> there before myself. Um, it's a spot, so it's a- Spotsylvania. And Ron Simmons was booked against George to wrestle, and some talent got lost in the way just because of the country roads. So right. they're like, hey, you guys got to make up a little bit of time. Uh, so they asked George and Ron, like, hey, you guys need to put a little bit of time because these guys need some time to get here. And so then George, being the veteran at the time, walked up to Ron and was like, hey, Ron, uh, I guess we got to kill a little bit of time. So. You know, just you know, let me get get a you, you beat me up a little bit, and then I'll get a little bit of heat on you, and let's kind of just draw out the heat and take our time and take it nice and easy. Mm-hmm. And then Ron Simmons looked right at George, looked at him, and said, "Nah, people don't want to see that." <laughs> and so then George goes, "Well, what do the people want to see?" And Ron Simmons goes, "They just want to see me beat the shit out of you." <laughs> and George's like, "Okay." And then I go, "George, so what happened after that?" And he goes, "Oh, Ron Simmons beat the shit out of me for twenty minutes." <laughs> and the crowd went crazy. <laughs> more and more and more. So, so yeah, that's why when you said that they wrestle each other, I'm like, "Who the fuck sold for who?" Like, <laughs> you said for twenty minutes. He beat twenty him? minutes. Yeah. Twenty minutes beat the shit. Poor out of George. Me. I hope he got double pay. Nope. <laughs> All right, Yoko's first major United States run was in the American Wrestling Association as Coquina Maximus. Yeah. He was billed as the biggest Samoan wrestler ever. At this point, he was starting to put on some weight. If you look at some of his early matches in, say, uh, uh, Mexico, compared to him in 1991 when he's upwards of 472, he is much bigger. And uh, you know who likes big guys? Micah's mom. <laughs> that's, the first, that's the first your mama joke on our on our podcast. No, who likes big guys? It's Vincent Kennedy McMahon. And in 1992, he went to WWF, and this is where he's going to spend the majority of his career. Well, before you move on, you say that Vince liked him, but through insider information through Sal, oh. when I asked... Sal about thoughts of, of, of Yoko, and he, he told me the nice story that he's like, oh, I've known him for years. But he also said that Yokozuna almost didn't happen because this, you know, untelevised debut match yeah. did not go Horrible. well. Oh, really? Did okay. not go well, mostly because, you know, Yoko kind of blamed it on jet lag. Yeah. A, and obviously a bigger guy traveling around like that, especially could be legit, very in, legit. In, you know, in the in the 80s and even the early 90s was probably miserable. So he pro- and he probably flew in that morning, got to the town, had an awful match, and Vince was completely and utterly unimpressed with him. He was... had no interest in him whatsoever. But it wasn't until Sergeant Slaughter stepped up 
and said, no, 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 this is the guy you want. Hmm. And Slaughter knew him from AWA. I mean, good and eye on him. And so then I think like the next night he had another match, and the Vince was like, oh, I see what you yeah, mean yeah, yeah. now. I just got to make sure I fly him in the day before. Now <laughs> that's the I just problem. give people one chance and then fuck. <laughs> yeah, I need to start giving people <laughs> second man, chances. Oh. Oh, God. It's like I'm losing all this gold through my pan here, and I don't know what the fuck's going yeah, on. Yeah, so without Sergeant Slaughter, we may have never had Yokozuna. Would you, I mean, I assume it was just a kind of a squash match show-off type thing? Or? Yeah, it was probably like, yeah. you know, let's see what you Typical, got. Typical, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that match was like his uh, initial debut as Coquina in an untelevised match, September 1st, 1992, at a WWF Superstars taping in Hersey, Pennsylvania. He'd face Ron Neal, and guess who won? Not Ron Neal. Oh. Uh, it was the only time Rodney ever wrestled under his former gimmick in WWF. So shortly after, he transitioned into his new gimmick, Yokozuna. Look at the girth. Yokozuna refers to the highest rank of Japanese sumo wrestlers, although Rodney never actually sumo wrestled, and he also wasn't Japanese. <laughs> he was Samoan America. Not Japanese, like that liar Vince McMahon uh, wants you to think. Uh, That's going to be my new bit. The guy who uncovers a big conspiracy, finding out wrestlers are just characters. That's going to be my new thing. Oh, you what? mean he wasn't a race car driver? <laughs> what? He's not Native American? He's just Italian? Oh, <laughs> man, I really thought that guy repossessed shit. <laughs> Managed by Mr. Fuji, Yokozuna debuted October... 31st, 1992, on an episode of Superstars and his shiny new sumo wrestler gimmick, competing under the Japanese flag, he'd face Bill Jordan. Oh, poor Bill. And yeah, old William didn't get any offense in. Uh, uh, Yoko hit him with the entire package, the uh, little spinning rock bottom thing he did. Dude, he did a better rock bottom than The Rock. I, I do. I, I agree. I like Yoko's better, even though Rock's was very good. It was more um, like a Uranagi suplex, so it was, it was pretty badass. You're a noggy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't that. know why. Why am I ruining this podcast? I don't know. Uh, uh, he hit him with the leg drop, the belly, the belly, the corner splash, and his famous bonsai drop. Yeah. So the match was less than three minutes, but right away you could see the crowd just in awe of not just how enormous Yokozuna was, but that he moved like he was 225 yeah. pounds. And Vince sold the living shit. I mean, commentary. Yeah, no, Vince, Vince was, was great. He was Who is this guy? Oh, my God. How can anybody compete on this guy, yeah. guys? So Yoko would make his pay-per-view debut at the 1992 Survivor Series in a match against the leader of the Meat Sauce Mafia, Virgil. It is uh, essentially a squash match, but Virgil does kind of do all the moving around, and he makes it look good to give Virgil a little credit, because I like Stop Virgil. Stop it. I love... I met Virgil at, at WrestleCon just in passing, not even at his table, and he was very nice to me. The, the, cool. the one thing, like, if you, I've watched every jobber match that Yoko did of destroying dudes, and it wasn't the jobber matches where they get their little shine, they get their little, oh, he might do it. Yoko destroyed them <laughs> entirely. Obliteration is the word that I would like to use. And for him to have a pay-per-view match against Virgil, and Virgil actually gets offense. Yeah. Virgil actually makes Yoko sell. And it's actually like, there's your, sh there's your push, Virgil. <laughs> <laughs> you got to make Yoko sell. 
And built up to that, he just destroyed him. And the one thing I loved as a total fucking film geek, I just I loved watching all these matches. And there's this shot that would slowly pop up. It was around, oh God, research-wise, it was his seventh jobber match before he even got close to Virgil. Is the uh, cameraman figured out he decided to be a director and he would shoot it from in between Yoko's legs where he would trap the opponent inside of Yoko. It immediately made me think of The Graduate. It's The Graduate shot where Mrs. Robinson traps Dustin Hoffman in there with her sexuality. He doesn't get away. The rest of the movie, he's all hers. And exactly just like that, Yoko's opponents are dead. They are trapped. They have nowhere to go. It's over. And it, the, the geeky part of me is like, oh, I can't wait to make this stupid-ass comparison on this podcast. Because <laughs> it it's some little filmmaking that popped up in Superstars episodes, of all things. And I was like, all right, I tip my hat to you, uh, random cameraman who probably went to film school for uh, <laughs> 18 months. After the Virgil match, Yokozuna was on the first ever Monday Night Raw January 11th, 1993, and the first match ever, mm-hmm. at least televised, on Monday Night Raw, where he beat Coco Beware, and that guy is a Hall of Famer. Damn well, straight. He's a Hall of Famer because he was the first match on Raw, and also he was one of the first guys to take a tombstone on a televised event. Because if you remember when The Undertaker made his debut, I think the first guy he tombstoned was Coco Beware, oh, and he tombstoned him opposite the hard camera <laughs> so like you dropped him that's at like a seat. great Kali move yeah but it's the same to do is like you didn't see his head hit but you're like oh gosh well that looked a little legit because you're seeing it from the back end. yeah i mean i mean it sounds stupid but the whole filmmaking thing is like sometimes what you don't show is the scariest shit because your imagination's like oh god he's yeah. dead the 1993 Royal Rumble is really Yokozuna's kind of coming out party. They hyped him up as a huge favorite to win. Yeah, I mean, he beat Virgil and a bunch of jobbers, and he's coming in as the favorite to win the just, Royal Rumble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you're a fan of this era of wrestling, this is a fun Royal Rumble match. Ric Flair and Bob Backlund started off, and just to name a few people in it, Mr. Perfect, Jerry Lawler, Ted DiBiase, Old School Undertaker, the iconic Repo Man, uh, the, <laughs> the Nasty Boys. Did we just call back the fucking Repo Man? <laughs> IRS. Yoko has an epic showdown with Earthquake. Oh, yeah. The final, Fore- foreshadowing. The, the final four are Macho Man, Yoko, Rick Martel, and Bob Backlund, who lasted an over an hour. The final two would be Macho Man and Yokozuna. And after Yokozuna knocks himself down, thank which you is for saying that, Nick. Yes, thank he you. knocks he, himself down. He missed the down. big butt uh, uh, The big splash. corner splash. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So uh, Macho Man hops up on the top turnbuckle, gives him an elbow drop, and for some reason goes for a pin. Yoko would uh, buck him off, not just off of the pin, but over the top over rope, the rope, giving Yoko the win of the 1993 Royal Rumble. And what was also very significant and good trivia for that is that that was the first Royal Rumble where the winner actually got a shot at the WWF title at WrestleMania. So, uh, in his first Royal Rumble match, Yoko eliminated Tatanka, Carlos Colon, Earthquake, Chido Santana, and Owen Hart, Backlund, and March- Macho Man for the win. That's a that's pretty good. Fun list. With Yoko being a foreign hill, it was only a matter of time before he would feud with American Patriot, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I mean, when you're talking a bunch of shit about America... <laughs> Duggan's got to stand up and hit you in the face with a 2x4 and get an assault charge. 
Well, it's like this guy comes to the ring with the flag. This guy comes to the ring with a flag. It's only man. We gotta wave them at each other, man. And also, too, you know what, Duggan? He was the fucking setup man for Hulk. Yeah, yeah, you know totally. Like, it, totally. It, if you want to get to Hulk, you gotta go through Duggan. <laughs> Duggan's gotta put you over, and then the Hulkster. It's comes totally in. video game territory. Oh, <laughs> the, exactly. Yeah, he's he's definitely set up that way. Yep. Hacksaw wanted to be the first man to knock Yoko off his feet, which is why it's important to know that Yoko knocked himself down in the That is very true. And on February 6, 1993, in an airing of Superstars, Hacksaw succeeded in knocking Yoko down, only for Yoko to sneak attack Duggan, just like Pearl Harbor. Which Jerry Lawler... Sorry. They mention that a lot. Lawler actually did the Pearl Harbor commentating spot. Yep. Guys had been doing that for... Probably another 10 years oh, after yeah, that. Of, so of, he's of 15 course. maybe even. So <laughs> just let you know. So uh, Yoko would eventually hit Hacksaw with the belly to belly, leg drop him, and then four bonsai drops. The fourth being with the American flag draped over him. And the last bonsai drop legit cracked one of uh, Hacksaw's ribs, even though by all accounts, people rave about how great Yoko was with uh, taking care of them, especially being so huge. Yeah, if he liked you, I've heard. Oh no! I've heard I mean, conflicting I mean, reports. Really... If you were a like a job guy that kind of had an attitude or a chip on your shoulder, and you got put in there with Yoko, he would done squish you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, it, but... but like he beat the shit out of some jobbers. He hit him. I mean, he didn't do. He usually do his typical moves, but he hit some German suplexes on some that they fell on their necks. I mean, oh, he hit some uh, kind of superstars matches. That aren't on YouTube, you gotta find that are just like he. It was like, huh? You know, you pull that ugly face, and you're like, God damn! I did notice like every once in a while, I'd see a bonsai drop where I'm like, God, I think oh, he got him a little bit. No, there. there's like, one where like you can see his feet not planting. Yeah, just, they're boom, like stuck out. Yeah, and yeah, it just yeah. smacks right on the dude, and you're like, he's dead. I've I've heard I've heard a lot of stories about him going. You know what? This guy's an asshole. I'm gonna done. I'm gonna fix this. Problem. I was gonna ask: Is that Yoko? Is it Yoko being a bully, which doesn't seem to be in his personality, or is that Yoko teaching this asshole a lesson? It, that, it's that... Yoko teaching this guy okay. a lesson, like uh, especially from like all reports that I get from Sal. Yeah, I'd say right now, since we're we're discussing it, you know, since it sounds like I'm disparaging his name, <laughs> but Sal said that he never saw Yoko frown outside of character yeah. obviously when he was no, i believe it actually you know in his character he always had that look and that mug and he looked yeah. mean and he would scowl but he said when he was out of character he said he never saw him frown it's there's that one interview we'll jump around it's like from 2000 and he's getting interviewed for two 99, minutes i think it is yeah 99 high school yeah, yeah 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 and he just seems like the coolest yeah. nicest funnest dude and it just like in that short little interview i totally can see what you're saying right now jake all right, so as Micah mentioned, as the Royal Rumble winner, Yoko gets to go to Sin City to Las Vegas at WrestleMania 9 to face Bret the Hitman Hart for the WWF title, which I think is Yoko's best match. It is definitely good, I agree. It's way up there. Where he wrestles a Canadian 
and people are chanting USA. <laughs> Thank you. Yoko, I have that note too. <laughs> Yoko is actually the American in the match. <laughs> they really love Hawaii. <laughs> yes. Um, but you say that it's his best match, but apparently Yoko tried to take it home yeah. and cut out a, a significant amount of oh, the match. So okay. it could have been a little bit better, but he went to the end spot early and this frustrated Bret Hart. Yeah, yeah Bret talked about that in his book. He was pissed about it. Goes into great detail in his book. Yeah. Uh, which Brett's book is part of the reason why I'm more of a Shawn Michaels guy. <laughs> so uh, Yoko wins the match after Mr. Fuji hits Brett with a face full of salt, making him break the sharpshooter. Yoko pins him immediately, which I, uh, just to be like critical, I thought he should have like at least hit him with like a splash or something. Yeah, but he's just it's like panic. Yeah, like yeah, a yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I have the same thoughts too. And this would make him the first wrestler of Samoan descent to ever hold the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. Although there would be no time for celebration, as Hulk Hogan would hop in the ring right away. Uh, Mr. Fuji challenges Hulk to a match. Horrible manager. Yeah, horrible managerial (laughs) work. Uh, Yoko's holding the ropes, clearly tired. Now the match is on with with Hogan. Yoko grabs Hogan from behind, and when Mr. Fuji goes to throw salt in his eyes, Hulk ducks, Yoko gets the salt to the face, Hogan knocks him down right away, Screams the N word. <laughs> I, I didn't make it through that. <laughs> uh, if you could have like straight faced it, and uh, did the whole finish. I practiced that. People like would have been like googling that. Like, is that? Let me I, let me I watch the it. footage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, bought, me, I I still bought it with the laugh. Yeah. And I'm like, did it really? They're gonna get the footage. They're like, watch his mouth. Watch his mouth. Does he? Uh, I shit. believe it. I believe, yeah, I, I'm still I'm still on board with it. And then on. the crowd erupts into USA. <laughs> He leg drops him one, two, three. Because that works for me, brother. (laughs) (laughs) When is it not? (laughs) Which, a a funny side note for this, I was watching this match, you know, I was doing my research. Spencer was on the couch, kind of, you know, watching, whatever. She was watching Brett and Yokozuna wrestle. She goes to the bathroom, comes back, and Hulk Hogan wins the championship. <laughs> and she's like, what the fuck happened? Like, why did Hulk win? And I was like, exactly. Dan Black's got a good bit right now about a similar situation like that, but it's it's about the Seth Rollins cashing in the money in the bank. Oh, okay. Uh-oh. He's, he's got a good bit. It's online. Go check it out. Dan Black. Dan Black. Uh, okay. Talks about wrestling. His friends. It's on YouTube? Yeah, it's, it's on YouTube. I think it's on his Facebook page. It's got a lot of likes and hits, but... This would make Yoko's reign at the time the second shortest ever with uh, at two minutes and six seconds. The first shortest of all time was when Andre just handed the belt to DiBiase. But as Jake mentioned, with the new money in the bank contract angle, this list is crazy now. Yeah, yeah, it's crap um, now. It was also the second quickest, again, at the time that someone had reached the title, with Yoko being with the company only 173 days. The fastest ever, which still holds up today, Ric Flair, 113 days. Yokozuna would get his chance at revenge on Hogan at the 1993 King of the Ring, which was the first ever King of the Ring that was actually televised. And let's just say it is a slow match. But... 
Hulk Hogan, speaking of people bumping for people, Hulk Hogan sold that fucking match. He like, really I did. I have never seen Hulk Hogan. I agree 100%. Like, I, sometimes you think Hogan's gimmick is a weeble wobble because he <laughs> never fucking falls down. And uh, he really, he made Yoko look good. Give, He's I'll, like, you can give, see him. I was like, America is weeping in the middle of the ring with J- Japan destroying it. Yeah. Weeping. But he's doing that because he knows he's fucking over Brett. So he's doing, uh, he's putting over Yoko. He has a so boner the whole time. <laughs> he's putting over Yoko so strong to prove everybody. See, I'm willing to do business. You can't say shit about me not wanting to put over Brett. I'm putting over Yoko strong, so I put over people. Like that's he's only doing it out of spite. Don't let that man slip by I, you, and definitely, definitely don't, don't film him while he's having sex. That's <laughs> wife. <laughs> Alright, uh, that match ends in a spot where a photographer planted along ringside with legit Japanese media. Harvey Whippleman. Yes, uh, Harvey shot a fireball into uh, Hulk's face. After the fireball, Yoko hits him with a leg drop and wins his second WWF Heavyweight Championship. And the great call is like, they're like, oh, what happened? And Heenan casually goes, Oh, his camera exploded in a fireball hit Hogan <laughs> in the face. It's like, you know, <laughs> I wish I could do a Heenan, but yeah, it's just, it's a matter of fact, cameras explode. <laughs> After the match, Yoko drags Hogan to the corner, bonsais him, and puts him out for good kayfabe-wise. And aside from some small tapings, uh, a U- European tour, and some house shows, this would be Hogan's yeah. last ever major WWF appearance for nine years. So this would give Yoko and Mr. Fuji bragging rights to say that they killed Hulkamania. That's right. So now we have this epic hill who put out Hacksaw, who killed Hulkamania, who won the WWF Championship, and I would say this is the high point of his wrestling career. Definitely. True monster. So with Hogan gone and Hacksaw out, with no American heroes left in sight, Yoko felt comfortable enough to hold his celebration party on the 4th of July (laughs) aboard the USS Intrepid. Some people do titty bars. (laughs) <laughs> Yoko does the USS Intrepid. An 8th grade field trip is where I want my celebration. Um, so he held a body slam competition because who could slam the unslammable Yokozuna? I will tell you who. Uh, Otto Vance slammed him in Germany in 88. Carlos Colon slammed him in Puerto Rico in 89. El Canick slammed him in 89 in Mexico. Masa Saito slammed him in 90 in Japan. In fact, America was pretty much the last country to slam Yokozuna. But how much did he weigh then, Nick? Much, much, that's much. What I'm, that's well, my well point. listen, is the same thing happened with Andre. Yeah. Andre had been slammed. There's like by... a 12 yeah, minute yeah, yeah. YouTube clip of all his slams. Yeah. And Jake, uh, this made me think all this. Who, who is the biggest person you've ever body slammed? Do you know that by chance? It's a good question. Thanks. Because I'm usually the. The heel in the situation. I was going to say, so you're not going to fucking do that. Yeah, I'm not usually the conquering hero. That's why I had the backup question. Well, and also, too, like a lot of the big guys that I get put up against, yeah. they have no interest in making me look good. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Like, like, if I'm in there with a big guy, I'm solely in there. And I'm usually getting told in a conversation, like, hey, this guy doesn't really know anything. He hurts a lot of people. But we're going to put the title on him in a couple of months. Can you make him look good? 
That's how about, that's usually what happens when I'm wrestling a big guy. Yeah. Heads, how about uh, how about I have a good example, friend of the podcast. How about Mister Three O Five Live, Zane Riley? Have you body slammed Zane? You've had to have no, slammed Zane. Really? I don't think no, I have. What? Never once. No, that so. fucking what? blows my mind. I don't think I have. Uh. There might have been one time because I think he, yeah, I had him wrestle as a heel one time. I don't know. There might. I'm thinking. There's a time where I think that might have happened, but then he didn't get up for it. So I'm like, fuck that. I'm not slamming you again. <laughs> like, that's, that's the thing. Like, I was like, Andre could get up. Yoko could get up. Zane, no, you can't get up. But I'm not going to do it again. It, if there was one time, it would have been one time, and I wouldn't do it again with him. So. Uh, my backup question, who, is, who do you think the biggest dude you've ever worked with? Uh, Just I've, sheer size that you had to have him I wrestled Rikishi before, and... Yeah. Post WWE Rikishi, he really let himself go. Yeah. He was almost Yokozuna level. Um, Did you take Stink Face? Yeah, I took Stink ah. Face. He gave me the squisher. Did not protect me. Did not. Did oh. not. I mean, straight up smush my fucking guts. At the actual event aboard the USS Intrepid, people who tried to slam him: Rick Steiner, Scott Steiner, Crush, Tatanka, Macho Man, all tried and failed to get him up. Several NFL players and hockey players and other pro athletes would try and fail. And Scott Burrell, who had just been drafted by the Charlotte Hornets, <laughs> approached him and didn't even try to slam him. <laughs> and that lack of effort is why he only averaged 4.8 points a game in his rookie season. We could have drafted George Mirasan and done cool shit with Muggsy Bogues. So let's set the mood. <clears throat> When it looked like America had failed, down from the heavens, flying in by helicopter, comes American hero Lex Luger. He, ro hero. <laughs> he rolls in like a Jack George Washington, filled with the power of the troops and several corporations, wearing the same exact American flag shirt as Todd Pettengill. And the crowd is like, weren't you a hill the last six months? I thought you loved yourself more than us. But, ne but never mind, because he calls Mr. Fuji a, a cancer, and a Yoko an overstuffed, sushi-eating, rice-chomping wrestler. And if you input that casual racism into Google Translate, you get face turn. And Yoko <laughs> Luger slams that Yokozuna bastard for you, for me, for freedom and for guns. Uncle Sam. Either way, uh, it would lead to a historic and perhaps infamous feud between Lex Luger and Yokozuna. It would also lead to this very important question. Jake, what would you name your Lex Express? Ooh. <laughs> a man scout. A man scout scooter? Um, <laughs> the man scout rolling social club? <laughs> The Man Scout <laughs> Mileage Buster? I don't there know. We go. There we go. Whoa. That sounds like I can save a lot of money if I take that. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I'm done with it, I would that would be the commercial. You save a lot of money, just like Megabus. <laughs> Man Scout Megabus. There you go. There we go. The Man Scout Megabus. Uh, great moment leading up to this is uh, uh, Yoko actually does a rare promo in the build up to the match where he, he does a American athletes are just like American products. They're no good. Banzai. <laughs> and it's so weird because you finally realize, 
oh shit, he's not Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, all that patriotism and build up would 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 end at SummerSlam when Yokozuna, now weighing 568 pounds, would face Lex Luger for the WWF Championship. So at the King of the Ring, they really set up that Luger had a metal plate in his arm. Oh, yeah. And I think that way, it looked like he had a shot at beating Yoko, because at this point, Yoko seemed unbeatable. I won't say that their match at SummerSlam is a good match. I actually, when I watched it, I thought it was better than I anticipated. Maybe I think it's the crowd. It was better than I remember. The crowd is into it more, and like the drama and the suspense was legit, and some of the pinfalls were actually good. I'm like... Wow, I did not expect this. So I give, I give it some credit. Until the finish happened. Oh, I mean, you know. Well, <laughs> and that finish would be uh, Lex does connect with his robot forearm. Uh, <laughs> but Yoko is knocked out of the ring. And he would lose via countout, therefore holding on to the title. That's and not important, Nick. Never before has a countout victory been so celebrated. <laughs> Uh, Lex is carried out on the locker room shoulders like fucking Confetti. Rudy. There's, yes. there's, there's celebration for the world. There, there's balloons, there's confetti, there's this closing video package that shows MLK, JFK, the moon landing, a saluting Marine. <laughs> because all of them were behind Lex Luger not winning the championship. <laughs> <laughs> winning by a goddamn countout. The the note that I have on your outline after what happens is just LOL. <laughs> <laughs> and also the speaker uh, for Yokozuna Camp, James E. Cornette, had also worked into the contract that Lex would never get a rematch. So all this hype, the Lex Express, the video packages, the push to the moon, Yoko holds on to the belt. And that's kind of it. It would not be the last time they face off. However, uh, at the 93 Survivor Series, Yoko and Lex were team captains. I love how all the hills are hills because they're foreign, but Crush is from Hawaii. That's just technically yeah, Crush America. Crush's gimmick. Can we just mention uh, how just, terrible it is? We, we, we'll do an episode okay. on him. Uh, uh, in the, in the build-up to that, though, Yoko and Mr. Fuji were actually on the Conan O'Brien show. No, wait. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Yes, yes, yes. It was leading up to the Survivor Series. Are you sure? Yes, because oh, they actually call I shit. It was with the... okay. No, 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 no. Yeah, because because right, uh, right. uh, Mr. Fuji actually does the old foreign fanatics versus all Americans, and he calls yeah. he calls because he's building up the Undertaker feud for yeah, yeah, for yeah. Royal Rumble, and he calls Yoko he calls the Undertaker Yokozuna's turkey dinner. Um, he calls Paul Bearer Paul Barrier. Yokozuna drags out a dizzy diz, which is like if the producers of the Conan O'Brien show. When they did the stupid bit, Yoko would have taken the the joke actor and belly to bellied him through the table of Conan. But it was it, it's it's on YouTube. It's it's really good uh, bizarre TV, especially because Yoko doesn't say a word the whole time. It's Mr. Yeah, Fuji, and he does not break. He doesn't break yeah. at all. He's kayfabe as shit. He drags Diz out out of the set and puts him back there and it, it's a really funny like ten minute bit. And Mr. Fuji kills Mr. Fuji all the time. Survivor Series would end with uh, Luger getting the win with his forearm over, I believe, Luvig. Sidebar. The first Brock Lesnar. Uh, Undertaker gets Bonze dropped and does his sit-up spot yeah, after yeah, yeah. the Bonsai drop. Shit. All that just to set up uh, Yokozuna and Undertaker feud. 
They would tease throughout. Eventually, Yoko went on to have a casket match with Undertaker at the 1994 Royal Rumble. <laughs> and the match, uh, I don't know. The end of this match is burned <laughs> the into my match. brain. Well, yeah, yeah. But this is one thing I remember vividly from being a kid and watching this and just, ah. Uh. I rewatched the match the way I thought. I was like, the entire match is like the end of a nitro. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. It's just like the entire match feels like Shivani saying, oh my God, oh my God, we got to go. We're out of time. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. everybody, it's pure chaos. And it's, it's just like, is this really happening? And then with the end, with the, the heaven spot, it's just like, holy shit, this is madness and it's beautiful. Pretty much every hill on the roster comes out <laughs> yeah. to beat up Undertaker. They shove him in the casket, they do some special effects, and he flies off into space. Callback, Bam Bam gets to close the casket and officially win the match. Alright, so during the actual 1994 Royal Rumble match, the last two competitors, Lex Luger and Bret Hart, eliminated each other at the exact same time, and this led to both of them getting a title shot at WrestleMania 10, the first ever WrestleMania without Hulk Hogan. Wow. Luger got to wrestle Yokozuna first, and the winner of that match would go on to face Bret Hart. Bret would wrestle Owen that night <coughs> so that he didn't have an advantage. Oh, um, is that was that the storyline for why they did yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, Damn, I never, knew, I never put Which that is, together. Which is a great match, and Owen won. Oh, um, it's, it's beyond. So uh, for the Lex and Yoko match, Mr. Perfect was the special guest referee, and uh, Luger would hit Yoko with a running forearm. However, he had also knocked out Mr. Fuji and Jim Cornette, who had tried to interfere. And when Luger went for the pin, Mr. Perfect was checking on the unconscious managers, still laying in the ring. A frustrated yeah, Luger terrible. gets up, pushes Mr. Perfect, who promptly disqualifies him for assaulting an official. And this would give Yoko the win, but also make him the first ever Hill champion to successfully defend his title at WrestleMania. Go Yoko. But just like WrestleMania 9, his celebration would be short-lived because he still had a match that night against Bret Hart, which is right after Razor Ramon and HBK have the greatest ladder match of all time. I mean, and cause the eight-man, ten-man tag to be cut off the show, and guys missing uh, out on a payoff. What, what, what was the match? I think it was like Bob Holly, yeah. one, two, three, kid. They're, they do some weird promo in the back, and they're like, I get it, it's some lame excuse, like, one of the guys got lost, we can't do the match. It's something really stupid where they just blow nope, it off. because the ladder match went long, yeah, and guys missed out on an opportunity to be on the show. That is um, Also, shit. too, Urban Legend, Urban Legend goes that Lex Luger was supposed to win the title at WrestleMania 10, but he was in a bar the night before or the week before and was telling everybody he was going to win the belt. But I disagree with that legend because as you see WrestleMania 10 laid out with the absolutely perfect story of Brett and Owen and Owen winning the match and it's like, finally, finally I have outshined my brother. And And then at the end of the night, Brett wins the title, yeah. and he just stands there. And you finally beat me again. Yeah, me, I just when I thought I Good, had yeah. you. Great, great that, writing, man. That's, that's the better story. So the, to lead you to believe that they changed all of this to the most ingenious version of yeah. a story, I highly disagree with. So yeah, that's same. that's where I stand on that. For the Brett and Yoko match, Burt Reynolds was a special <laughs> guest ring announcer. 
And Rowdy Roddy Piper was special <laughs> guest referee, and he holds the fort down a little better than Mr. Perfect. Cornette even pulls Piper out during a three count, and uh, Piper punches him in the face. It's a really great spot. At the end of the match, Yoko went to hit Brett with a bonsai drop, but he loses his balance, falls, Brett pins him, ending Yokozuna's title run at 280 days, and it would also finally stop Brett's fucking complaining, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I think Cornette later, uh, storyline-wise, blamed... Uh him falling off the ropes because uh, Luger hit him with the forearm and knocked him out earlier, and he was he had CTE concussion yeah. stuff. So I mean, they were really uh, they were way ahead of their times <laughs> on their storylines with uh, saying how matches finished. Also, it's fun to point out that after actually winning the title, Brett doesn't get balloons. So you know, <laughs> maybe his complaints were just. King of the Ring 1994, Yoko and Crush would team up to challenge the Head Shrinkers for the Tag Team Championship, which is a pretty fun, fast-paced tag match. Uh, the Head Shrinkers would win after Little Lex Luger interference, this time Luger going after Crush. L- little Lex Luger? A Little Lex, a little Lex <laughs> Luger interference. Not a Little Lex Luger, which I'm surprised they didn't do. Yeah, and I think... Uh... Back in the day when he was Coquina Maximus, I think he teamed with Samu, if I'm not mistaken. He definitely, I think, on some of, like, there was a promotion called IWA that Sal worked with, um, which basically... That was just, the Puerto Rico? No, 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 no. This was, like, an IWA championship wrestling. It's based out of Pennsylvania. But, uh, yeah, there was there was a promotion that mostly had, like, Manny Fernandez and Terry Taylor, guys that weren't under weren't employed by Vince or WCW at the time. And I think Coquina Maximus teamed with Samu at the time, and I think they were the head, just the head shrinkers then. He did a, a little bit of tagging with Crush, uh, more than that, which is why they got the tag team shots. Uh, but after that, The Undertaker came back looking for revenge. And they would have another casket match at Survivor Series with a little extra twist. Not even the troubleshooting referee Chuck Norris will be able to save you. Dong! That's right, goddamn Chuck Norris showed up. And uh, he would be the special enforcer uh, for this match. Eventually, Bam Bam and King Kong Bundy came down, and they were stopped by Chuck. And with Texas Ranger distracted, IRS slipped in through the back, and he snuck a tech undertaker, getting him into the casket. But by the time Yoko recovered and walks over to shut the lid, Taker pops out of the casket, grabs him by the throat. <laughs> Meanwhile, Chuck super kicks <laughs> Jeff Jarrett into a goddamn headstand. It's, yeah. it's really great. If you pause it right, he's doing it. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a funny sell. Taker sends Yoko through the ropes into the casket with a big boot, snaps Mr. Fuji's Japanese flag, which seemed unnecessary. Yeah, it seems really uh, mad and hateful. Uh, and then he closes the casket, getting his revenge win. And soon after that, Yoko would take a lot of time off. And I think at this point, WWF was really pressuring him to lose some weight. By this time, he was well over 600 pounds. And since his debut in 92, that means he had put on over 100 pounds in less than two years. And he was getting uh, so big that a lot of guys straight up just didn't want to work with him. They're like, you know, what? not only is it dangerous, they're like, what, what do you want me to do with him? You know, like, I can't mm-hmm. lift him. I can't bump, you know. Probably why I get put in a lot of tags. So uh, yeah, that is exactly why. He was just a tag why. machine at that point. And speaking of tagging, in 
April of 95, the Slammy Award-winning King of the Ring, Owen Hart, began promising that he would have a great tag team partner for a match against the Smoking Guns at WrestleMania 11 for the tag team belts. Owen gets on the mic before the match, announces the now 641-pound Yokozuna. To put that in perspective, Andre the Giant was 529 pounds and was a foot taller than Yokozuna. King Kong Bundy, who was also 6'4", like Yokozuna, 468 pounds. And to put that even more perspective, WWF sent him away to lose some weight because he was over 600 pounds. He's now coming back at 641. <laughs> just to keep that in perspective. And the thing that I saw is uh, he that was actually him setting the record. He beat Haystack's Calhoun to be the heaviest competitor in WWF oh. at the time. Just like Jake said, uh, the reason he was moved to tag matches is that he was so big at this point, he literally couldn't wrestle single matches anymore. Even after being off TV, the second he gets tagged into this match, just the oohs and the ahs from the crowd. It's, it's really fun to watch. Yoko would eventually hit Billy with a bonsai, and I wonder if he kind of got him for real. Because he lays in the corner for like a minute. Uh, Yoko tags in Owen, who starts to go for a sharpshooter, and then quickly Ugh. goes into the pen to end the match. Yeah, Which I'm thinking of Billy's like, fucking let's go. So either way, Owen and Yoko win the tag team championships. And as Jim Cornette said, Michael Jordan and Yokozuna were back. Neither are very good at baseball. <laughs> so Yoko and... Owen would remain tag team champions until In Your House 3 on September 24th, 1995, when Yoko teamed up with Davey Boy Smith in replace of Owen Hart to face two dudes with attitudes, Shawn Michaels and your boy, Diesel. Yeah. Fucking, uh, the best thing about that match, I wish they'd do more stuff like all the titles were on the line. Yeah. All of them. It was Sean. Oh, Sh- wait, wait. Sean was Intercontinental, and then Diesel was Heavyweight. Heavyweight. And yeah. then it was and the tag tennis. title. So whoever won, won the belts. I mean, I, I don't know. I just love stupid gimmicks like that. It's yeah. like, oh my God, so much can change tonight. Yeah. I remember buying that paper you ain't that <laughs> excited about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, you never know. Uh, real quick, right before that in your house, in King of the Ring 95, Yoko fought Savio Vega. And it, since Savio's from Puerto Rico, there was a really fun thing where they did a USA chant versus that. So at least they got Puerto Rico as a territory. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of got it. Well, they were just, it was almost like their version of both these guys because American Samoa is a territory much like Puerto Rico is. <laughs> yeah. So it was They almost, were so smart they didn't know it. So when they were chanting USA, they were basically saying both these guys. Both <laughs> these guys. <laughs> My favorite thing, or my, I don't know, uh, favorite's the wrong word, but uh, Lex Luger was facing Hill Tatanka, and the crowd was chanting, USA! And I was like, Tatanka's a goddamn Native American! This what are you doing? He beat you! <laughs> Back to the match, Davy Boy was taking Owen's spot because Owen was with his wife as she gave birth, wink wink. In this match... Like I said, Diesel's WWF championship was on the line. Sean's Intercontinental belt was on the line against their tag team championships. This is a uh, super fun match. Sean's just going 100 miles an hour. At the end of the match, Owen comes flying into the what ring. What the hell? Only to get jackknifed by Diesel. <laughs> 
And for 24 hours, the click held every belt in WWF. And rightfully fucking so. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're no, not no. getting into this uh, no, right no. now. Damn it, Jake. The next day on Raw, Cornette and Owen and Yoko protested the match with the legal help of Clarence Mason. President Gorilla Monsoon was forced to return the belts to Yoko and Hart. However, they would lose the belts that same night to the Smoking Guns. Duh. In the 1996 Royal Rumble, was not as fun for me or Yokozuna. Yoko would enter number nine, and at this point, Cornette had a new signing, Leon, oh. who wasn't getting along too well with Yokozuna. They'd fight each other a couple of times during the actual Royal Rumble, just with Cornette kind of breaking them up from the sidelines. Together, they'd eliminate one member each of the squat team before continuing to fight each other. And while the two were fighting, they were kind of leaned up against the ropes and Shawn Michaels would sneak up and kind of push them both out. And then they'd continue fighting on the floor. This would set up a Yoko and Vader feud. Eventually, Yoko would turn on Jim Cornette or James E. Cornette, whatever, and begin a short run as a face. The part that I love is... um... Yoko's had these years and years of the monster heel, but all he's got to do to turn face is punch Cornette right in the fucking face. (laughs) The crowd immediately is like, yeah, (laughs) we love you now. During that feud that Yokozuna teamed up with Ahmed Johnson, Jake Roberts in a six-man tag match at WrestleMania 12 against Vader, Owen Hart, and Bulldog, it was a stipulation where if Yoko's team won, he would get five minutes with Jim Cornette. Uh, In this match, you can see that Yoko was huge, even compared to the 450-pound Vader. There's a point where Yoko's hitting Vader, and he's just getting this huge pop. And it's just the weirdest thing to watch all these Yoko matches of him getting booed and booed and booed. And all of a sudden, just huge face i really like the the crowd loved him as a face like they really did they turned so hard and he was fun to watch watch as a face man so uh vader (laughs) would ultimately get the win for the team though and a couple weeks later vader would vader bomb yokozuna's leg and kayfabe break it in reality wwf was giving yokozuna time off again trying to make him lose weight Yoko selling of the leg was great too. He was yeah. so vocal and he's screaming his ass off. And they actually did the forklift stretcher yeah. spot because a normal stretcher couldn't take it back. Yoko would eventually return at In Your House 8, Beware of the Dog, to wrestle Vader. And this is the famous blackout in your house in Florence, South Carolina, where the storm knocked the power out of the arena. And one of the matches not broadcast, Yoko actually beat Vader. But two days later, with the reshoot in Charleston, South Carolina, Vader beat Yoko, which was like the uh, initial ending for the match. Bruce Pritchard said that a lot of these endings were just kind of tossed out there just to get the fucking ma- the show over with okay. because there was a blackout. <laughs> yeah. And then during the reshoot, they actually did the match. The storyline appropriate shit. Yeah. Which I still love where he... It's a great story, and you should listen to his something yeah, really in, where, where he's just talking about how there was just enough light people in the audience to see, yeah. but you couldn't see on the TV cameras. 
so, which I kind of understand because I work in video, and I remember they had video cameras showing these guys wrestling in absolute dark, but then they were like, no, they had the security lights on, and just the, the talk of Bruce like freaking out, and Vince just calmly going, damn, pal, we're having a hell of a good match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's just like... So at 1996, free for all, the pre-show of SummerSlam, Yoko faced Stone Cold Steve Austin. And when he went for the bonsai drop, the rope snapped, allowing Austin to pin him. How would they even do this? Do you, do you know? Like a... Well, I mean, this whole thing was based on a, a true story. This actually happened in a Yoko match. And they're like, well, let's do it we'll here. See Gosh, I'm trying to think what would be... Because you'd have to be hitting the ropes beforehand. It's part of the reason they did on a free-for-all, so you could have that cue and switch them out. What you probably would do was you would have maybe a turnbuckle gimmicked somehow. How maybe you just would... avoid it till then. <sighs> yeah, like, so just no one would Yeah, they just stand on it? Or... Like, because just stuff like that, uh, like... When someone pops up from underneath the ring, or say with Big Show and Brock, how the ring collapsed, I just, they probably pull, I, I'd know more. I would know more how you do that. Oh, than okay. Would how, uh, this snap a rope. Yeah, what I would imagine would happen is I'm guessing know. there's probably he was able to be pulled, like because you're using real rope. Yeah. The ability that he could just yank on it a certain way and put that tension right there in the just, corner, like, yeah. hey, if you lean on this, like it's hanging on by a thread. Yeah. So you can still hit the ropes, and it's not going to look apart. all wonky and loose. But when you bit. really try to rip the rim down, it'll. Yeah, like 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 it's down to a couple threads right there. So that that way, if he put his full 600 pounds on this piece of actual rope that would come popping off would be how i would guess to do it as far as like them underneath the ring they just move a couple boards out of the way and they come up through the mat as far as like the suplex i'm guessing they had i think they had a rig where it kicks out the poles and then everything collapse in but what i would imagine is that one of the turnbuckles because they use real rope and they run it through like probably it was threaded down and it was probably down to a couple threads and so that way when he you could still hit the ropes and stuff like that as long as it's not that corner yeah. and you're not hitting that, yeah, that corner. That specific. So that way when he goes to that corner and he puts that full almost 700 pounds of tension and he leans, because you see him kind of lean back and put all of his weight, that that 700 pounds would snap that actual rope. That okay. would be my guess on how he does it. Boom, we nailed it. <laughs> where, where you could probably hit the ropes and be fine and it's not going to give the, the type of tension that's going to cause the ropes yeah, to snap right, right, right there. So, Yoko's final WWF appearance is at the 1996 Survivor Series, a match we discussed on Jimmy Snuka Part 1. It's a Yoko, Snuka, Flash Funk, and Savio Vega versus Vader, Farouk, Fake Razor, and Fake Diesel, which ended in a double DQ after Snuka pins Fake Razor and everyone just starts hitting everyone with chairs. Uh, it's... Not a very good or very long match to send off Yokozuna, who is, you know, yeah, it's like kind of it. been their guy for a minute. Yeah. Although, I don't, at this point, they didn't know that was going to be his last match. Oh, good so, point. Good point. Uh, at this point, Yokozuna was sent back home to Los Angeles uh, to attempt to lose weight. Yoko spent the next few years attempting to lose weight, and he would stay with WWF. He dropped 100 pounds. But WWF reported that they wanted him to get around 400 pounds. Wow. And uh, at this point, it was a concern for his health, for the safety of the mm. other guys. 
And, you know, it's not like Vince to just give someone time off just because. Especially not someone who was a draw like Yokozuna. And I think they sent him to Duke University, from what <laughs> okay. I've heard in, what? in research and podcasts. Like, I guess Duke University has a world-renowned nutritionist they, program. They have everything there. up there. But, you know, if they would have sent him to UNC, he would have got I mean, we can shit on Roman Reigns, but let's not let's <laughs> yeah. not do that split. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if they would have sent him to Wake Forest, they would have got it done. So, so uh, Yoko was unable to pass the physical requirements for the New York State Athletic Commission. Which I know a lot of fucking wrestlers that can't do that. <laughs> Like, I'm serious. When I go to Northeast Wrestling, and there are uh, even referees oh, that, wow. that don't. Why? Why even test them? Why? High heart rate. Oh, yeah, that's true. Because all these fucking guys are having fucking energy drinks. <laughs> and they all fucking, and like, oh. Meth. And they're just. No, there it's mostly energy drinks. These oh, fucking okay. guys they have three energy drinks. And then all of a sudden, like, the doctor's like, nope, your heart rate's too high. Well, yeah. No shit, asshole. Don't fucking drink energy drinks all every single fucking day. And then, like, guys, like, they don't work out, and they're, like, like oh, my heart rate. And then they, get, then they get overexerted about worrying about it, and then their blood pressure is too high. Where I love to see the New York State Athletic Commission. I've become good friends with them. Also, too, <laughs> they know that I, I try and compete with everybody on the roster, and I found this out. Uh, when Ric Flair used to go up there, because even though you're a manager, you still got to be, yeah, yeah, they yeah. check your heart Damn, rate. Something like that. Flair had the lowest heart rate of everybody. <laughs> even, <laughs> even, even still at like 60, 70 years old, like still the lowest heart rate. He just back, sleep wrestles the back first in, star match. Back in 2009, in a roster that had like Mike Bennett and all these other people on the roster, still, still Rick had the, had the slowest heart rate. Like he was, I think he was around 58 beats per minute. So I, I've always been, when I get ready to go up there, I always try to make sure that I get calm right before I go up yeah. there <laughs> and I get up there and the lowest I've gotten is around 60, 62. I've have not got down to 58, but God damn it. Ric Flair was doing that at like 67. Years old, so. <laughs> so that's a, that's a life. That's a bucket list goal. Yeah. And that's always what he, he, what Flair was known for is your heart rate. But yeah, I know some people like referees that one referee who's built kind of like me, has a hard time passing the New York State Athletic Commission and has been told he's not allowed to, to ref because his heart rate's too high. Wow. So, so they are clearly the hard, hardest core of the hardest. Uh, I wouldn't say they're that hardcore. I think, if you, man, if you just work out. I know, but like, are they the most strict drinks. or is there more strict? Uh, Maryland's very strict. Yeah. Um, New York's pretty laid back. And I'll tell you what, I like New York because they enforce certain rules that are importantly enforced. Make sure if they're... If somebody doesn't show up, the, the offer for refunds are made, made available. Okay, that's good. They yeah. also make sure a show doesn't start early if it's an outdoor show because you, you're like, oh, the rain's coming. Let's start this thing early, get through it. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, no, 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 you got to start on time. You can start late, but you can't start early because you told people you were going to start at 7. If you started at 6.30 to beat the weather, right. people They'll missed miss out. The show. They'll miss the show. And you can't do that. So there, there are certain rules that way. Yoko was not able to pass that, so in 1998, he was finally dropped from WWF, which is, it's weird to think of Yoko even being around in 1998. You know, you think this is when the Attitude Era is really spiking. Or you would have crushed an ECW. Yeah. <laughs> um, Literally crushed. <laughs> so after his WWF career ended, he made his round around the Indies. His last major appearance 
was October 1999 Heroes of Wrestling pay-per-view at an estimated 760 pounds. He said he was intentionally getting bigger with his goal weight being somewhere between 850 and 900. He wanted to set the world record for heaviest professional wrestler ever, which I do not recommend you do. Nope. It's the Big Top Homer episode where he's going to be the biggest oh, yeah, guy yeah, yeah, so yeah. he can uh, fucking be home for disability. So, uh, at Heroes of Wrestling, Yoko was scheduled to take on King Kong Bundy in uh, one of the events featured match. However, Jake the Snake, who was scheduled to face uh, Jim Nyhard, rest in peace, yeah, damn. came to the ring a wee bit too drunk to wrestle. Because this is 90s out-of-control drunk Jake Roberts. Um, Same year that Beyond the Mat came out. Yeah. So Jake goes out to wrestle Jim. He can't. So halfway out, uh, they (laughs) send out King Kong Bundy to kind of, I guess, uh, team up on Jake to make him, I guess, yeah, not look as weak, you know, whatever. And then Yoko comes out to even up the odds. Uh, I think they finally let, uh, I think King Kong Bundy just lays on top of Jake and ends the match. Uh, I already know the answer to this, but Jake, would you ever do a spot with Damien? Never. (laughs) Why not? Never. Not a chance. Fuck Snake. All in general. But it's not poisonous, Jake. I don't fucking know. Me and Jake did this not fun comedy show at CryptoCon and uh, there was a, oh there was I, I, a, I was so mad I missed that someone had what a boa constrictor yeah. and Jake was like fuck everything I'm not <laughs> even gonna go didn't even go on that side of the room I'm like I'm going over here even though I should go over here I'm going to go over here see we're really dub sidebar I will lift the boa constrictor all over my shoulders and everything but if you lit a good size like quarter size roach crawl on my uh, arm i'll scream yeah, like a same. little girl both, right. both give, me, me. give me give me the snake give me the snake all day fuck this cockroach knock the roach smash it <laughs> done over with no but it's, it's so teeny and it moves fast don't give a fuck uh, <laughs> kill yeah. them i don't like either i don't like either all right let's jump ahead to the millennium year 2000 really <laughs> yeah go what a what what a terrible way to did get you do into that joke this far in the yeah, end of the episode. I, I did, and and it's about to set up the heaviest part of the episode, which I apologize to everyone on Earth. Uh, heaviest. Yoko participated in a tour in Australia, and then began a tour in Europe. While on that European tour, October twenty third, two thousand, Yoko would die in his hotel room at the Moat House Hotel in Liverpool, England, which has oh. since been torn down. He was just 34 years old, which, holy shit. All of us. <laughs> yeah. Well, not me. But uh, <laughs> fuck you. Now, now at this size, which at the time was an estimated uh, 580 pounds, so he had slimmed down a little. Uh, yeah. Most people just assumed it was a heart attack, but it was actually a pulmonary edema, uh, which is a condition where excess fluid fills your lungs like he, he respiratory failure like he could essentially it. yeah he couldn't breathe so heart problems can cause that but the f- fluid can accumulate for other reasons including pneumonia or exposure to toxins and medications but trauma to the chest wall which i'd assume he got from pro wrestling 
and visiting and exercising in high elevations, which I also assume he got from wrestling, uh, could also be a cause for this. Yoko was a guy that would literally give his life to professional wrestling, always wanting to be a bit bigger, always wanting to be a little more impressive looking. In March 2012, Yoko was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. Well-deserved. He was inducted by the Usos and Rakishi. Nice. So we're getting down to the very end here. Aside from The Rock, he's the most successful Samoan wrestler, right? I feel like Jake would know better Roman than me. Roman Reigns. Ah, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> what, okay, well, if you want to even approach we that. We didn't say liked. We well, said successful. <laughs> how many title runs? Yoko, uh, Yoko had two title runs and was on top for, what, three years? Roman's been on top t- for like three years. But and... is he the big dog? Is the ah, question. Jesus. I, I'm going to. The yard. The yard. It's all about the yard. I guess Roman would be second at this point, right? Yeah. <laughs> Goddamn Jake and his little yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You what, didn't have to like. I know. I I set myself up for this disappointment, which is <laughs> the worst part. It's your whole life. Oh God, I hurt so much. Um, don't worry. One day Roman's gonna be the number one. Fuck off! Oh my God! <laughs> oh, what is this heel bullshit that we're doing right now? So, uh, God, I can't even. All right. So Yoko was this really important transition in WWF because I would say Hope kind of handed him the ball, which he handed to Brett, I would say, which he handed to Sean, which then he gave eventually to Austin. So he was like this important kind of step that evolved wrestling like he was very necessary i would say yeah and a lot of people shit on his time with the title but i'll never forget like this documentary piece that came on i think before wrestlemania 2000 and they were going through like past champions and they got to yokozuna and pat patterson came on and pat was like addressing that he goes i know a lot of people uh, dislike Yoko's title runs, but Pat's like, I happen to think it was very important, very crucial. He was I, very good, very, very mobile. I was converted. And pretty pretty awesome. Yeah. You know? so, I, I agree with every, I agree and echo everything that Pat Patterson said. I totally I, agree. I was, before we did this podcast, I was on that one side, but then I got converted and totally. Phenomenal worker, especially for his size. He sold so damn good. Yeah. I love his bit where he's like, he's getting knocked and he's reaching for the ropes, he's reaching for the ropes, he's reaching for the ropes, yeah, and, yeah, and then he yeah, falls back. I mean, there's so good suspense and drama in that cell, and the crowd just eats the shit out of it. Micah, you got any matches? Uh, I'm, uh, I mean, we talked about the Bret Hart match. Yeah. I like the Luger, I mean, yeah, I'll have to figure out a list to rank them all. We will get um, there, there's there's an interesting one in Mexico where it's like a six, eight man where it's random and it's like Andre's last Mexico match, which is kind of interesting. And on YouTube, there's a talk show in the middle with a mass wrestler interview. <laughs> Dude, it's just this weird clusterfuck. Yeah, we'll post it. Nothing, nothing. Nothing huge at the moment. All right, we will get that graphic up on social media, which you can follow at TimBellPod. Uh, I know we just kind of did it, but final thoughts on Yokozuna. Yoko, like I said, Yoko, I was totally like, uh, he was the typical Vince big guy, uh, squash people, blah, 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 blah. But actually watching all the damn matches that I did for research of this, 
He worked like a son of a bitch. He had some great... There's some good steel cage matches uh, that uh, fans recorded that are on YouTube that are really fun. There's some good inventive spots in those that I didn't mention that I forgot to talk about. I would recommend those. He was... Damn, he was athletic for 600 pounds. I don't see how he did some of the stuff he, he did. He He... The bumps that he took through the the bottom rope and the middle rope to go outside, he would bump his ass off for those. He would do like some Three Stooges spots where he'd walk into the ring. I mean, he was always working, and I was just impressed. He was always on, and damn, he was a good monster, and he crushed the shit out of some jobbers. And I have a whole new respect for Yoko after doing research for this episode. Yeah, I, I did a little bit of research, too, uh, because... You know, sometimes we, we discuss people that I've met before, and if I haven't met somebody, I try to reach out to people. That's why I was very, very happy that Sal got back with me today, and I was able to share some of his thoughts, like especially the fact that, you know, Yoko never frowned out a character. But also another thing that Sal mentioned is he was a gentle giant, great sense of humor, <laughs> um, and just the, the, you know, the picture that we'll probably share on social media and credit Sal in of just young Yoko and just talking about him and knew him from the beginning and knew him throughout his career and his life so it it was good to talk to somebody who knew him and was like yeah he was a good person because through all this research i just assumed he was a good person so it's nice to talk to somebody that knew him throughout his entire career and said yeah that's that's most certainly the case but as always i reach out to george south and he george he had some interesting stories. Now, the question I'm going to lay at your guys' doorstep, do you want yes, me yes, yes, to yes, tell yes. the story in George South's voice, <laughs> or do you want me to tell it in my voice? Because I have a direct quote from George. I think we got to do George South voice. For most of you that don't know George South, just look up Daddy Don't Work, You Wrestle on YouTube, and you'll get this. <laughs> but uh, I think it's funny regardless either way. So when I text George... And George knows the deal now with this podcast that I will randomly text him out of nowhere and say, hey, what are your thoughts and feelings and memories of this guy? Yeah. And I said, he's helped us out before. uh, He's helped us out before. It's like it was Big Boss Man and and a lot of our earlier episodes. And I asked him, like, what are your thoughts on Yokozuna? To which George replied, oh, just one. Brother love mayonnaise. (laughs) That's a shoot. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Direct quote. Uh, Yoko told George that he would eat mayonnaise straight out of the jar and said mayonnaise was basically a drug for him. (laughs) And uh, George said that was just this one, but George came up with another one a little bit later, and he said there was another story where at a WWF taping at the arena, there was a security guard who was sitting at the top of a flight of stairs, and the the security guard was sitting in a chair, and he was kind of nodding off and falling asleep. Um, at the top of the stairs of a chair. And Yokozuna was walking by, and Yokozuna let out the loudest <laughs> burp in the history of man. So loud, in fact, that it started the sleeping security guard, startled him out of his chair, and he started rolling down the stairs. Wow. That was the power of Yoko's Telekinesis. Burps. Yes. That was the power of his burps. So... Um, figure those are fun little stories uh, to share about you. Wow, that was good stuff. To me, big part of my childhood, you know, I grew up hating him because he always wrestled my favorite wrestler. He beat him all. Uh, but God. Say, he beat him all. Yeah, he did. Great Hill, Great Hill champion and uh, important big man into professional wrestling. Can't even 
try to say a bad thing about him. Yoko was amazing, and uh, God, died way too young. He's an amazing wrestler. Rest in peace. Let's wrap this thing up. We're at 10 Bell Pod on all the things. I am Nicholas A, N-I-C-K-O-H-L-E-S-S-A on everything. <laughs> I'm going to get this right on the first try. J Trotter 27 on Twitter. Let it ride. Man Scout Manning on all the social medias. Find him on there. Please subscribe, review, like us, share us, rate us five stars. Pretend we're Kenny Omega. Give us eight. That's it. Aside. We're going to close on. I just, we, we need to have a moment for all the jobbers that Yoko put to rest. And we're going to do a little memoriam for all of them because they, they helped build his career and they were made, they were what made him the monster that he is. So we're going to, we're going to say a little something and pay respects to all those that got bonsai Bill Jordan, Ron Hutchinson, Joey Maggs, Shane Croft, Kevin Kruger. Todd Becker, Mike Morgan, Mitch Bishop, Buck Sumhof, Chris Allen, Rich Myers, Virgil with a check mark, George Anderson, Carl Almont, Chad Miller, Rudy Flores, Jim Powers, Brian West, Jesse Storm, Russ Greenberg, Bobby DeVito, Casey Cleric, Raven Clark, Chris Katowski, Rudy Gonzalez, Sean Dakota, Tony Roy, Scott Taylor, you might know him as Scotty Too Hottie, PJ Walker, Scott Powers, Terry Stubbs, Joey Stallings. In a handicap match, two went. Mike Davis and Scotty Tuhati again. Corey Student. No, still going. Nick Barbary. <laughs> Steve Smith. Phil Apollo. Tom O'Sullivan. Steve King. Frank Stiletto. Gary Scott. Jason Storm. John Crystal. John Crystal again. Phil Apollo. Handicap match, Billy Mack and Jay Storm, two at once. And then a handicap match, Denny Pardon, Mark Kyle, and Reginald Walker, three on one. And finally, Tony Johnson. Bonsai! Uh, Hashtag Nile Driver. (laughs) Fuck.